0: This is Mackenzie Milton, and you're listening to One Night Stand.
1: Hey, everybody. This is Steve Levy from ESPN, and you're listening to One Night Stand. Fought with straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. Flirt with the hood rats, then pop bottles. Uh-huh. Start Need with it. straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. with the hood
2: rats, then okay, pop bottles. Okay, we popping
1: champagne, pop champagne, champagne like we won a championship game. Look like I like got, got on a rats, championship game. Cause I ball, ball hard. Don't so we ball harder.
3: This is One Night Stand, presented by Jimmy Hula's Fish Tacos, Burgers, and More. What up, night fans? It's Thursday, April 11th. We have a really big show today. ESPN's very own Steve Levy talks about him announcing the Fiesta Bowl back in January. Also talks about his career, how he ended up at ESPN. Gives us a really awesome behind-the-scenes look at the prep work that goes into calling each game. And also apologizes for calling us UFC and our jerseys blue.
2: And I'm here with Money Moo. Our second interview for this monumental show we have for you today will be the very own Mackenzie Milton talking to us about our spring football game, the heated 2019 UCF QB battle, and tells us a couple things that really surprised us. Breaking news, though. It just, I guess, got
3: leaked out that Terrell Allen wants to enter the transfer portal. Then shortly after, Jason Bede announced that Miles Douglas wants to transfer as well. Big basketball news here. Also,
2: we were going to talk about this later. Aubrey Dawkins has announced he is declaring for the draft. Well, I think this definitely puts a different spin on earlier last week we had Chance McSpadden. Transferring to Stetson, Chance didn't get that much playing time. He also had
3: a he also hurt his hip, and he had to be out for the rest of the season. But you think
2: can you like undo a transfer? Because that's think, what I was thinking, and I I think Chance was thinking the same thing. Because a few minutes after the news of Terrell Allen, he sent out a tweet just saying "Wow" with yeah. a bunch of dots. Yeah. After
3: yeah, so two two of our guards looking to transfer now. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to transfer. If you remember, Matt Williams was supposed to transfer to Wake Forest. I mean, he pretty much it was announced, and then Dawkins convinced him to stay. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, regardless, Terrell Allen was probably our best returning player. But at the same time, you can't blame someone for wanting to transfer. He hasn't won a conference championship here, and we're probably not going to win it next year. So you can't really blame someone for wanting to leave and you know try and go somewhere and, and have a better chance of winning something. Obviously, I wish he would stay, but
2: you got to do what's best for yourself. I don't know. I'm totally on the opposite. Like, why? Especially after this season, UCF is on the up and up. We'll probably end up getting someone, you know, either another transfer coming in or, you know, a a younger player stepping up. This is just the beginning. And, and I mean, with all all the publicity and everything that happened this year, what's a better school that you're going to transfer to?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I, if he transfers to Duke, can you be mad at him? Or, you know, some major program that's like has a shot at a national championship? I don't know. There's just no, me.
2: but I, I, I don't see it.
3: Yeah. Anyway, so like I said before, Aubrey Dawkins declares for the draft. Best of luck for him. Honestly, I, I don't think he could do anything more. You know, he left with a bang, you know, 32 points against Duke.
2: Oh, man. I just reminded myself of that oh. game. Oh, man. Speaking of that game, though, earlier this week, you got to think Auburn against Virginia. Virginia has the ball down two points. They put up a last-second three, a very, very questionable foul call. It was a foul. I don't think it was a foul. I think they should have let him play. It w- It literally was a foul. It's like a black-and-white thing. It was a foul. I see a gray area in this. There's no gray. Look at the
3: rule. It's like I don't think it was a did foul. You, did you, all right, so the the shooter has a right to be able to land where he jumped from. The defender was where
2: he jumped from. He was underneath him when he landed. So it was a foul. Alright. It's neither here <laughs> it's neither here nor there, but I will say this. Right when it happened, I was like, Okay, if he makes these three free throws, this is worse than our loss. Like yeah. losing that oh, way. Yeah. Rather than having a ball sit on the rim, like, that was bad. Man. It was bad because, I mean, I thought they won it. You barely even heard the whistle. Everyone thought they won it.
3: People there at the game, no one knew what was going on because you couldn't hear the whistle at the game because they're in, like, the the Metrodome or whatever in Minnesota being in a, the back of a football stadium watching a basketball game. The players are like tiny little ants. But, no, they, like, won the game and then didn't. So they pretty much had it taken away from them. We were just like so close, and uh, I don't want to talk about it. But yeah, no, that's definitely, definitely
2: worse than that. All right, so back to what we originally started talking about: Aubrey Dawkins declaring for the NBA draft. We also know that Taco Fall, since that being his senior year last year, will be entering the NBA draft as well.
3: Remember, he entered it like two years ago or three years ago as like a sophomore.
2: I think it was last year. It wasn't last
3: year. It was two. It was at least two years ago. Last year he was hurt. He didn't. Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. So He declared, and you're allowed to hire an agent and like test it out, and obviously he didn't get a good grade.
2: Right. I will say, look at two years ago and how Taco played, and look at how he played in the last maybe like five games yeah. of the season. It's literally night and day.
3: It really is night and day. And, uh, you know, no one's really seen him do anything besides dunk the ball, but I'm telling you guys, when NBA teams get to work him out, Taco Fall can shoot the ball. No rhyme intended. We just didn't use him that way. And I'm telling you, he's going to shoot up the draft board. I think he's going to be a top 15 pick. You heard it here first on One Night Stand.
2: Just saying. There's a couple of NBA mock drafts. Two that I saw had both Aubrey and Taco being drafted, which if you don't know much about the NBA draft, it's not like NFL where there's like seven rounds and lasts all his time. It's only two rounds. Every single year, only 60 players get drafted. I mean, the and chances of being drafted are, are well, well, one in a bazillion. And
3: not only that, there's, what, like 30 NBA teams, and they only have, like, 12 roster spots. Right. That's 360. And it's not like football.
2: You know, you got 22 people and then special teams and all that and a well, lot of there's, players. And- there's,
3: you know, on, at any single time, if you count practice squad plus a 53-man roster, that's 60 times 32. That's almost 2,000 active NFL players. There's only, like, 300 NBA players. So getting drafted or being in the NBA – is a lot rarer and bigger of a deal. But I think we're going to see Taco and Aubrey on NBA rosters this year, or at least in the D-League with the chance to to, to get up. You forget, I mean, Matt Williams played a couple games on the Heat. He's not there anymore, but that was still a really big deal. And we've never been in the spotlight for the NBA. Jermaine Taylor, I think, was the only other player to play, and his action was very limited as well. So this could be big
2: for our brand, kind of stepping up to that next level. Would be really cool if the Magic got them. Oh man. <laughs> man! Magic, by the way, making their first playoff appearance in about eight years.
3: Yeah, the last time we made the playoffs, we were in college, I think.
2: Yeah. So. Wow. Good for them. Oh, we would like to announce our winners of the One Night Stand Podcast Bracket Challenge. Hey yo! Lots of prizes up for grabs. Some worth more than others. Yeah, that's usually how prizes work. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to announce the winners? I'll do the honors. So, first place. Sorry if I mispronounced your name. Actually, these are really easy names. Yeah, All right. What? So, first place goes to Joey Knapps. At least that's his Twitter handle. But how could you
3: mispronounce well,
2: that? <laughs> you know, his, name, his last name is like Napola. Nepali- I was going to say it's Napolitano. like Napoleon Latino or something. Na- Napoleon Latino. Yep. <laughs> All right. Joey Knapps. First place. Wasn't even close, by the way. He dominated. Picked, like, the whole Final Four, I think, or something. Dominated uh, this bracket challenge. Good for you, man. $75 to Jimmy Hula's you're going to get. Also, a bunch of other stuff. Pair of Rock'em socks, Three months freeze up. I think you get an American Conference Championship hat. And what do you know? Orlando Apollo tickets for life. Free Apollo tickets
3: for life. What a deal. Congrats, Joey Knapps. That's crazy. Is there a game this weekend? (laughs) <laughs> maybe um so yeah let's talk about the af real quick kind of surprising apparently there was like a conflict between their new investor and the original people that started it it obviously really stinks for the players but you know this was some really great exposure that a lot of these guys would have never had to have once you like don't make it in the nfl you kind of fade away for the most part the rosters the training camp are 90 players and most of them are guys straight out of college. A lot of time, if you don't make it your first year out of college, you never get another chance. And there's really nowhere else to play. There's not a minor leagues or anything like that. And that was kind of the idea with the AF. But, you know, I think Jordan McCray, he was like the highest-rated lineman by Pro Football Focus almost every week. Aaron Evans did well, too. Chris Martin got some playing time. Rennell Hall. So I guarantee you, Probably those four guys will be on NFL rosters coming uh, this fall. And a lot of them, I don't think, would have ever had that chance. I mean, McCray's been out of college for a while. His brother's a starter on the Packers, but he just never seemed to get a chance. And a lot of time, it's like that. It's just kind of like a luck thing with injuries and stuff. So
2: Yeah, I guess it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, hey, uh,
3: Orlando Apollos, uh, we declared a what a national championship, right? Second Orlando or, team to do that. No <laughs>
2: one will ever have more wins than the Orlando Apollos. Yeah, NBA. Steve
3: Spurrier, all time winningest coach.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, so I, I do want to give a shout out back to the the bracket challenge. Second place, Carly Smith, fifty dollar gift card to Jimmy Hula's, and third place, Isaiah Decula, twenty five dollars to Jimmy Hula's. So, congratulations to our top three winners. Also, if you made it in the top 10, I'm not going to announce everybody's name, but if you made it in the top 10, you do win a $10 Jimmy Hula's gift card. So hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, DM
3: me your address. Also, you get a pair of Rock'em socks. Everyone gets a pair of Rock'em socks.
2: Yeah, please let us know so we can send you your prize. And uh, I guess Joey Naps is going to take us all out to J- to Jimmy's, right, this yeah. weekend? Yeah, Mark's on Naps.
3: Uh, <laughs> also, big shout-out to jimmy hula's for donating all these gift cards they have a new taco of the month program that's really awesome and also they're featuring a bonfire barbecue summer menu starting may 1st so definitely check that out you know like i said every time i'm up in orlando always stop right there off of uh 417 you know little hula's maybe pop in the library i do know i'm too old for that <laughs> but uh
2: no you're not yeah
3: whatever uh anyway, but thank you all for entering and uh, it was really cool. What a what a fun March Madness, you know. Kind of started off slow obviously b- besides the UCF Duke game, but then at the end, I mean, there was a lot of really really good games. I don't know how Virginia won. They got lucky in like their last three games. Like UCF style. Cardiac. Oh, yeah. The no, Cardiac I mean, you, you Cavaliers.
2: Kinda, you kind of have to to go on a run to beat all those all those teams. Yeah, so, I know. It's just crazy anyway. how they
3: went from like the worst loss ever losing to UNBC or whatever last year to winning the national championship. Definitely yeah. a very, very cool story for them, so congrats to them.
2: And if you had Duke as your national champion,
3: bah. Yeah. I, I picked Michigan, and even though they lost before Duke and UNC, uh, actually I ended up 18th in our pool. Really? Yeah. Cause oh. I had Virginia losing to Michigan in the final, final game.
2: I was 80th. All right. That's, you know, top 50%. Top 50%. Well, I, I mean, had like I had Michigan State winning it all, and that was yeah, it was pretty close. And you one know, you missed every other game. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but I did have UCF to the Elite Eight, so <laughs> uh, at least I believed.
3: All right, let's get to the good stuff. We've got our interview with Steve Levy. So he's been one of the longest-tenured uh, anchors for SportsCenter. He used to call a lot of hockey games. Now he does play-by-play alongside Brian Greasy. Brian Greasy, thank you. Called the Fiesta Bowl game. If you remember, there was uh, you know, a little bit of controversy. A lot of the night fans took to Twitter to let him know that they thought he was biased.
2: So we talked a lot about that. And we, that's really the, the only reason why we asked Steve to come on the show is because we kind of wanted to clear his name a little bit with the UCF fan base. You know, Steve isn't new to calling UCF games either. He also called the Conference Championship 2017 game against Memphis, the double overtime thriller, and the Michigan game in Ann Arbor. Both of which we were at. Yep. You know, like you said, we we only really asked him
3: to come on the show to talk about the Fiesta Bowl call, but it turned into a really, really awesome conversation. I learned a lot of new stuff about just, you know, the prep work, and time and stuff it, it takes to get ready to call a game every week. And also, you know, how they meet with the coaches and, and the, the staff for each team and it's just really cool. So anyway, uh let's do that. All right, we now welcome on one of the longest tenured sports center anchors and play by play analysts for ESPN, Steve Levy. Steve, thanks for joining the show.
1: Hey! Thanks for having me on. Let's
3: talk a little bit about your background first. Obviously, we all know that you called the Fiesta Bowl for us back in January. But for those listeners that didn't grow up watching you on SportsCenter, how did you end up at ESPN, and when did you start?
1: Uh, well, I just I'm in my 26th year of doing SportsCenter, and that makes me really old. First of <laughs> all, start there. And uh, I grew up in uh, New York City, not exactly you know uh, known for its college football. And so it was kind of foreign to me growing up. And um, I was I was working in the city. I had a couple of great jobs, pretty much, out of a, a small college in upstate New York called Oswego, just outside of Syracuse, for uh, for people who know uh, just for logistics on the map. And then um, I got a call from ESPN, and I really didn't want to go. I loved being in New York City. I loved being in the big city. And uh, ESPN came at me again, and uh, my agent at the time said, hey, you know, ESPN's not going to come back a third time. and I still didn't want to go, but uh, they, they said I was too young to be, uh, you know, one of the big guys in New York, or too young-looking, and I understood that. I was only 27 or 28 at the time uh, in the number one market in the country. And uh, so I said, okay, I'm out of here. And uh, I drove, you know, some two hours to Bristol, Connecticut, and I've been here ever since. And I will tell you, it's the the single best move I've ever made other than having my precious children. So, uh I'm the luckiest guy in the industry. I tell people that, and I, I firmly believe that.
3: That's awesome. I mean, that's crazy. You, me and Paul are both 30 years old, and uh, so you started before us, and I, I couldn't imagine getting a job at ESPN at that age.
1: That's awesome. Um, so Yeah, the business has changed quite a bit since then, too. So uh, many more opportunities, though, now, you know, yeah, for, for young people like yourselves.
3: Definitely, definitely. So what's it like working there?
1: It's really a dream come true. I mean, I just, you know, we get the. Get the gum here come here and talk about sports and I feel like you know I've got the best seat in the house being you know on the on the sports center desk and like just for example, I appreciate you guys being so flexible on the time to to take this because uh at five thirty i we were i was wearing a hockey jersey and uh playing all star trivia during the uh our college basketball madness marathon, so you know they're going for twenty four straight hours or something like that- actually we're at twenty five hours right now over're on e s p n and e s p n two and um and so is the hockey team against the college basketball team and trivia questions. That's and, awesome. Uh, we of course won because we had Melrose and Butchergrass. So of course, uh, we we were all set. But it's uh, just my that's my point. My point is, we we have a good time here all the time. And you know, a long time ago, somebody approached me about maybe doing some news, right? And I was like, you know what, I, I don't want to be that serious. You know, if I make a mistake now, I get the score wrong. I can fix it. News is. You know, news is real life. You know, we're we're right. you know we're the comics. We're the fun and games, you know. So um, I'm lucky to be in a business where I, I really can have a good time, enjoy what I'm doing, enjoy the people I work with. And, uh, and that's in the college football season on the road and, and here when it's not football season in the studio. It's really great.
2: Steve, it's Paul here. I, I remember you when I was growing up from all the playoff hockey calls that you did. I used to be a huge Colorado Avalanche fan. Those those are the games that I remember you from. What made you switch into calling football, and is it hard to transition between the two?
1: Look, so people who know me, you know, my upbringing, hockey's always been my favorite sport. That was always my number one, and that was one of the attractions uh, that I came to ESPN for, a chance to do play-by-play on hockey. And, you know, I guess it's like, hang on a second, how many years, 2004, 2005? You know, it's... um, you know, it's 20-plus 20 years, 23 years since we lost the contract, I think, which is amazing. I can't believe it's been that long. But, yeah, so we lost the contract. And so there was no more hockey on, on ESPN, no, no more NHL hockey. We still have the college hockey. And so um, about 11 years ago or so, maybe a little longer, uh, I got an opportunity to do college football. It was the first Friday night package. ESPN started doing a college football game on Friday nights. And it was not received well, um, partially probably because of my program play. But the bigger reason, I think, was the high schools were really angry. You know, Friday night is supposed to be for high school football. And ESPN was sort of carving into that. Now, a lot of colleges loved it, right? Because if you're on Friday night, you're on national TV, you have no competition. There's one game in all of America a college football game. Yeah, so everybody watched that U- game.
3: UCF has done a ton of Thursday and Friday games, and we all complain yep. about it as a fan base, but I'm like, look, guys, we have no competition for exposure here. And as a smaller school right. like UCF, that's huge for us. So,
1: No question. And Fresno back then, we were like Fresno every other week because Pat Hill was the coach at the time, and he's like, I wanted to be on national TV. And so a lot of schools didn't buy into it. And uh, so anyway, so... They made me make a decision after that. I did about five years of that. Did the the big ten game at noon uh, coming out of game day on ESPN, did that for like four years. And then there was sort of a split here at ESPN. They sort of made everybody either you're either studio or remote play by play. And I chose studio. And so that's where I was until I guess four years ago again. And that's when sort of the, the, the change sort of happened. Mike Tirico left, left Monday night football. Sean McDonough moved into Monday Night Football, and that left the slot open in college football, and so uh, I jumped at the opportunity to get back on the road to do games. And uh, Honestly, as I mentioned, I'm a hockey guy and everything, but there is nothing better than kickoff for a Saturday important college football game. It's it's just so thrilling.
3: I definitely relate to that, man, and I can't wait till season starts back up. So talking about doing the play-by-play for football, what kind of preparation goes into calling a game? Do you do one game every Saturday? I
1: guess. Yeah, one game every week. Yep, and uh, as most of the broadcast teams do, and it's the same crew. And I'm I'm blessed to be with Brian Greasy and Todd McShay. We we genuinely enjoy each other's company. I think that comes across on the air, and uh, and we all bring different things to the game, right? I mean, Greasy was a you know he was a great college player, yep. uh, a good NFL player. You know, Todd McShay is the guy who is analyzing uh, all this college talent for the draft leading into the NFL. No one watches more film on more people uh, than Todd McShay. Right. And uh, and I try to bring some you know some levity and some fandomness to it. I'm I'm the fan of the three of us. I try to put myself you know I try to ask the questions uh, of those guys that I think the guy on the couch or gal on the couch at home is is wondering. And so I think that's all our roles. We try to blend it together and and try to do it for three and a half hours. And uh, uh, I think we've been pretty successful at it. And I know we have a good time doing it. It's been pretty well received, and um, and um, and I really enjoy doing it. But the preparation is intense. You can't believe the amount of work, or maybe you can, that goes into you know a three and a half hour broadcast. Well, that's what, uh, I was no, kinda, Saturday afternoon.
3: that's what I was kind of getting at is I don't think most people realize the preparation that goes in. Like, how many hours, roughly, does it take for you to get ready for a game on Saturday?
1: You know, I, have, I haven't done the math, but I will tell you this. It really starts, uh, the real work starts for me on Tuesday of every week. And that's when I talk to the SIDs of the two schools, sports information director. And I spend usually an hour on the phone with uh, the SID for each team. And I'm trying to get stuff that's not in the articles, uh, that's not going to be in the game notes. Right. Really, stuff that Greasy and McShay won't know. I'm trying to have something that they won't know that I can sort of hit them with. And, you know, we, we try to find interesting stories. Like, you know, you, we listen to the coordinators, and it's it's really hysterical, but it's, you know, it's the same thing every week. Hey, if we can stop the run, if we can <laughs> pressure the quarterback, it's just, you know, it's just mind blowing. Every single the only thing that changes the names, right? right. You know, we can. But eight in the box, nine in the box, ten in the box, eleven—you know, whatever it is—just it becomes cliche after cliche. And so, I'll give you just a breakdown of the week if that's interesting for you guys. So, yeah, of course, uh, we, we do that on Tuesday. On uh, on Wednesday, we usually have our own conference call with our group. Uh, on Thursday, we travel, we meet, and we get into a city. On Thursday, on Friday, we go to the home team's facility, watch film. Uh, the most schools are really good. They give us uh, their facilities and, and their tape. We watch film on both of those teams on both teams for a couple hours on Friday morning. Then we meet with the home team Friday, you know, early afternoon. Head coach, both coordinators, probably a half hour for each person. Uh, hopefully we get a, a couple of players or, or you know three or four players from each team. Then we leave that meeting. We have another meeting for ourselves, and then we go to the visiting team's hotel and do it all over again with the visiting team. Right. So, I mean, Friday's a really long day. It's much longer than game day. You know, it's funny. I've never done the math on how many actual hours it is. Um, sounds like it's you know, quite it's a bit of work. Sounds like it's all. Yeah, week. it's got to be twenty-five <laughs> hours, you know. And and the travel, of course, is not enjoyable because you're working constantly on the plane and the car and everything. Uh, and a lot of these college cities that we go to are, you know, double connections and a rental car and so you do as much work as you can there, and there's constant texting back and forth, and then it all comes together on Saturday, and then I wish I could describe the feeling to you guys of after a game is over. I feel like all the information that I've, I crammed for an exam for an entire week just sort of dribbles and leaks out of my ears, and until I can get the first beer in my hand... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it just, it just, you know, it's mind-numbing. The first beer really tastes good after after a, a great game, and you hope you get a great game. Look, there are so many blowouts in college football, right? People only remember the close, tight games and all the excitement comes down to the last second kick and the timeout and the review and all that stuff. And you know, unfortunately, by half the games are blowouts, you know, and you're just going to get that, especially when you're in the good conferences with the big boys up top, and that's just going to happen. So, but that is that is the week. But you know, what's really cool, guys, the rhythm the routine. I know I'm going to be with my buddies, my work buddies on Thursday night. We're going to go to dinner someplace. And the constant communication, it's just, um, it's really great. It's a great experience. It's a great way to earn a living. And uh, and sometimes us still can't believe how, you know, they pay us to do this. So it's really great.
2: Yeah, that sounds awesome, Matt. What, what's your go-to beer, by the way?
1: So that's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> that's funny that. That's a good question. So immediately after a game, I get a Bud Light. I like the the guys know I like two Bud Lights. There we two go. Two cold Bud Lights. I actually I, want I actually work for feel bud... good. I actually good work going for down, Budweiser. Right? <laughs> okay. Well, feel free to send me two Bud Lights if you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, to, pro- no problem.
2: No uh, problem.
1: But if I, if you know if it's not after the game, if it's like you know any other time, I'm probably drinking a draft beer that's not a light beer for the taste and the flavor. But I just need the Bud Lights because they go down so easy. They're cool and they feel good on the throat and. I've probably been talking way too much for three and a half hours of a game. And it's just, uh, that's that's how we do our postgame. That's how we start anyway.
3: No, I like it. Bud light's like water that makes you feel a little good. <laughs> I totally <Yep>. understand. <laughs> All right, so talking about preparation, can you tell me a little bit about your preparation for the Fiesta Bowl? And I guess what was your impression of us before you started the preparation? And did that change, you know, as you started to do a little research?
1: So I had seen you guys the year before uh in the conference championship game and that was that was a spectacular game and your building was great for that so i, I you know i knew what you guys were all about right. and uh I, I knew what the talent level um you know we were there for uh, for coach frost and uh and that whole last game and that was when mcshay asked him the question on the field immediately after yeah. the game that sort of blew up and that became a big deal but the overtime game going back and forth that story breaks in overtime that was crazy and uh, you know, and we're going back and forth you know i we I don't believe there are commercial breaks, so I don't know if we sent it back to the studio, but during a you know a twenty second break, the guy a producer gets in my ear and says about you know Scott Frost made his decision, we're like, well, he's been on the field for the last four and a half hours. Why did he make the decision you know so yeah it obviously came from his agent or somebody else but a, graf- um, a
3: graphic had come on screen i think if i remember correctly but actually it had been leaked out a little bit before that but obviously people that at least in ucf side that knew were trying to keep it hush hush but it was just right. a little unfortunate but also kind of interesting that it happened that way because i think you guys all handled it really well um but that whole post game thing with mcshay was was definitely interesting
1: you know and and so i remember i gave you know we, we let a lot of people you know, we had a lot of people come and go at ESPN. Okay, let's put it that way. And of um, I think it was Brett, Murf- Brett McMurphy who made the who broke it, I believe, on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> yeah.
3: And I said,
1: our, "Our own Brett McMurphy is reporting." He wasn't. No, he your own. <laughs> did work for us. And at that point, he no longer belonged to us. So I caught a lot of good-natured heat for that. But I, I was in favor. Some people thought McShay shouldn't ask the question. Uh, I think you have to ask the question. Yeah. And I think Scott Frost is a professional. He's a big boy. He knows the question is coming. He can answer it however he so chooses, but I think part of McShay's job, he has to at least ask the question. Yeah. And Todd did just that. So anyway, so I, I knew plenty about the program. Uh, and then, you, have, you know, you have the massive winning streak, and we were very excited uh, to get the assignment. You know, all the play-by-play crews were waiting. We're, you know, we're checking every day our emails to you know who you're going to get. And, uh, you know, look, we always the New Year's 6. is a big deal for us. Uh, we we usually get we usually get a semifinal we got a semifinal on radio R Cruise, and we were in Miami a few days earlier and we all jetted out to the desert and um, you know we were all heartbroken about Mackenzie Milton yeah. uh, and uh, you know I remember that being the theme you know coming in and you know how different would this game have been and that's obviously a, a theme that we we portrayed throughout the broadcast and some people would probably say we mentioned it too much but we we tried to balance it with you know everybody LSU how to add out on defense. Uh, either by injury or by choice. You know, Greedy Williams, for example, was skipping the bowl game. So, uh, you know, that was one of the definite themes coming into the game. But the preparation was pretty much the same. I talked to Andy Seely on the phone. The SID does a great job for UCF and gave me all the notes and nuggets, did all the reading. We had the long flight, the benefit of the long flight, uh, to come out to Arizona. And uh, got a chance to sit down with, with the whole coaching staff, got to meet uh, – uh, I'm trying to think. Well, what, what players have we got to actually sit down and talk? Thank We got, definitely talked with with got, Mac for sure. You got
3: Mac. You got Richie Grant. I think. Um, I'm trying to think. McCray, the running back, probably.
1: It's tricky, right? Because the players, they sort of, it sort of all runs together. I'm really trying. We loved yeah. one of your kids. He you had a great story. He might have been a defensive player, and now, now his name escapes me. Yeah, it's
3: tough. Maybe Nate Evans, or uh, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I was at media day, and I'm trying to think of the players that they had. Like five or six of them highlighted.
1: Right. Um, no, we we went back to the hotel, and we got a private room. And so they usually bring the coach and the assistants, and then and like I think there were two players from offense and two players from defense. Anyway, we we were impressed, yeah. and uh, and we asked Mac. You know, he was cool and calm, and I can't you know, I couldn't tell if he was if uh, he was being cool and calm just you know for us or he really was cool and calm deep down. And uh, I remember we talked about his ball security because that was an issue in the in the previous game. Uh, I think he had a couple of fumbles, lost two of the three or something like that. And uh, sure enough, that came into play in the Fiesta Bowl as well. So, you know, that's, that's the preparation, right? That's, yeah. you know, the watching film, knowing what happened in the last game, the previous game. I knew he played a uh, a regular season game earlier in the season, did really well. But, you know, I hadn't faced a, a defense like LSU, even with all those Tigers who were out. Uh, you know, I was still an SEC defense. so It was crazy. Uh, I as, it was impressed.
3: As the, as the game went on, it was like, there was injuries. I think they had they lost a couple guys to targeting or the ejection for the yes. punch or something like
1: that. Couple of big targets, yeah. And it just kept. We po- kept putting a graphic up of the LSU defensive backs because that's where they were losing. So they they came in without Greedy Williams, without Christian Fulton, uh, and Kelvin Joseph. So that's their top three corners. Right. They're, I'm looking at my notes now. Their their next top corner is Terrence Alexander. He was kicked out for throwing a punch, and Grant Delpit, who is their you know NFL future strong safety, he was kicked out for targeting, like you said. So I mean, you know the injuries are really piling up, and that's where you think, hey, you know if Mackenzie Milton was there, wow, well, he might have he might have shredded them. Yeah, and, and, um, and that, that could have been a different story.
3: It, it could have been, and, and the thing is, is and I think that might have been part of the reason that we actually might have didn't do as well on offense, is because Hypo kept. I think trying to force Mac to like, you know, do his you know his uh, downfield shot offense type thing, and really we I think we just should have stuck to the run game and kept it in. But I get it. You have a wide receiver guarding our number one wide receiver. Yes. Why not take shots? And, um, and although he dropped you know that that one pass that would have been a touchdown, but we did you know we lost that game. LSU outplayed us. Joe Burrow came back after getting knocked out and had the game of his yes. life. I mean that was uh, that was incredible. So. Um, but let's let's get to uh, your call of the game, which obviously you took a lot of heat on Twitter, most of which I, I think was a little unfair, which I said. Tell me a little bit about the feedback that you got from our uh, fan base.
1: Well, I, first of all, I get it every week. Right. Uh, I would say I get it every week, and I usually get it from both schools. And uh, you know, some of it's warranted. Like, you know, I got a lot of guys in my business who they don't look at it, or they say they don't look at it anyway. I look at it for the right reasons. I look at it because I find it can help me. Of it course. really can. It will point out mistakes. Now, I'm not looking at it during the game. I will flip it on at halftime. I can't tell you how many times at halftime of the game, uh, you know, I mispronounced the kid's hometown. Forget about the kid's last name, but I mispronounced the kid's hometown. And how am I going to know that? And Twitter can be a great tool on something like that.
3: Yeah.
1: And so I'll go back or I'll try to mention it another time and correct it or make fun of myself. And all that. So, um, but I will say, uh, yes, the tweet, the Twitter feedback following that game was unlike any I've ever received before. And I'll tell you what, and I'm, I'll be totally honest with you guys, uh, it was so much salt so that I said, you know what, I gotta watch this game back. Yeah. And I really don't do that anymore. I, uh, you know, I watch a quarter, or I'll put, pick a part of a game, and I say, hey, let me see how, how this played out on TV. It's so different when you're in the booth. You have a million things going on. You really can't. You're not looking at the screen the whole time, right? And you want to know what the audience is seeing, which is very different, really, from what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, the cam, different camera angles, and I obviously have the same straight-on view from the from the press box. So I rewatched the three and a half, 345. I don't know if we got the four hours. It was a very, it felt like a very long game. Yeah. And I rewatched the game, and uh, I was comfortable with the broadcast, and I understand. Uh, I understand the criticism. I appreciate the passion uh, of, the, of the UCF fan base. I get where they're coming from, but I have to be impartial. And uh, we talked about it as a group. We watched it. We all watched it back independently. And if I could have one thing back, the
3: jersey, I take
1: if I could change one thing, it would be about the darn color of the uniforms. <laughs>
3: yeah. Okay. I Which
1: mean... I don't think is that big a deal. I, I followed up. Because I wanted to know what you guys call that. It's anthracite. Now, quite frankly, I have never heard of that color before. Anthracite gray. And, you know, outside of the UCF (laughs) fan base, I'm not sure how many other people around the country have ever heard of that color on a uniform. But I backed myself into a bad spot. I was trying to make a line. It was a a black and blue hit or a black and blue mark or uh, is that jersey black or is it blue or whatever color that is. And so, look, if I could could take back one line, I would take it back. I probably wasn't going to have anthracite in my notes. I I certainly wasn't going to have it on the tip of my tongue. And I probably just would have stayed away from the whole color thing. But other than that, uh, I'm pretty comfortable with the broadcast. And, you know, I I really call it down the middle. I told you when we started, I'm from New York City. I play no favorites. I have no favorite. Uh, You know, Greasy went to Michigan. So every time we get a Michigan game or anything has to do with Ohio State or really anything in the Big Ten, people are all yeah. over, right, these bias. Right. I have no bias. I have no team in the fight. I have no rooting interest other than I root for a good game. And when we're on campus someplace, quite frankly, I usually root for the home team. It's better for the broadcast. I want to see people who spend their time and money leave, uh, leave the building happy. But really, I'm just I'm looking for a story. I'm looking for a great game. And if you think about it, the better story is UCF winning that football game, right? Yeah, Isn't really is. Isn't that the better story? Should Isn't be. that showing, hey, they prove they belong, blah, blah, blah? So if I was probably going to root for either side, and I wasn't, but UFC winning that game is the better story. And uh, I, I really thought I'd trade it right down the middle. I'm comfortable with
3: it. It's, uh, it's UCF, but <laughs> easy mistake. Um, no, I, you know, the jersey color what thing. You UFC? You said UFC, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I made that mistake during the game, you, too. You
3: did, and it's funny because as you were talking, I remembered there was something that you messed up that wasn't a big deal that people do all the time, and you just reminded me of it, so thanks. But honestly, the um, the jersey color thing's silly. If you got it wrong or said it was blue, that doesn't mean you hate us. But uh, one of the things I think that people are quick to jump on the announcers is that our fan base feels like ESPN has slighted us kind of throughout the years. So I think any little thing they're quick to jump on you, who just happen to be caught in the crossfire, some people feel like you know that ESPN has control over the playoff committee and blah blah blah. So that's kind of the the reason for that. But I, if you remember, I'm the you know I kind of defended you on Twitter and said I thought you did a good job and a neutral job.
1: I I, I do I do remember I appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate the backing. Um, you know the bias thing is funny. You know the, people talk about ESPN and everybody says we're in love with the SEC, right? So that means every other conference, you know, we're against. So it's not just. ESPN against UCF, it's really ESPN against everyone That's, you know, other than the SEC, which is, you know, which is also ludicrous and crazy. I was just down at Disney World with my kids, and I'm going through the Orlando airport, and somebody stops me, and he's wearing a UCF hat, I'm like, oh, here we go, right? <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, uh, he said, hey, I want to apologize for some of our fan base on Twitter. <laughs> but you know what? Listen, I, I want to do games where people care. I want to do games where people are passionate. And I would sign up to do you know a bunch of a bunch of nights games this coming season, and uh, I, I love it. I I want to be in the mix. I I don't want to do games for, about schools that people don't care about. Right. And I think if you look at the Twitter feedback and the the conference championship a season earlier, the 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 UF, UCF Twitter fan base was you know was was pretty complimentary in my call. So, yeah,
3: the Memphis uh, game. yeah. I
1: understand that. Listen, I'm a big boy. I get how it works. <laughs> I'm not offended. I love the passion. Again, I want to be part of it. I don't want to be doing uh, games where you know people are there's, there's nobody in the, in the crowd, right? You want to be at games that are sold out, right? And every seat's taken, and that's and the stadium's rocking, and that's your place, yep. by the way. Yep. Uh, you know, Hershey, you guys got you guys got game day there this year. Yeah. No. So nope. I, I think you're getting your I think you're getting your respect. I think I think each and every year you chip a little more away and get closer to where you want to be. And then you know the schedule. The schedule is a tricky thing too. And you know, people, a lot of people don't understand these. These schedules are made six, seven, eight years in advance, right? Yeah. And so it's really hard to schedule uh, the kind of games. I know UCF wants to play now and try to schedule them. You know, out of conference. Yeah. I and mean, there were just only a couple slots, and we've got, and they're already booked six, seven, eight years away.
3: Yeah, and we've got we've got Stanford's our big kind of home out of conference game this year. So hopefully, uh, I don't know what network it's supposed to be on, but that'd be cool if you got a, a chance to come back to uh, to the bounce house. I do want to say though, the one thing that I didn't like on the broadcast this isn't you, but they kind of like ticked everyone off at the end was when Greasy said something to the effect of, "This uh, this game proves that UCF did not deserve to be in the playoffs." this year and last year or something like that and it's kind of like oh I mean losing a game this season has nothing to do with last year's team that's a completely different team but that you know it's not you it is what it is but I think that kind of left people with the sour taste but that being said what do you think UCF has to do to get in the playoff this year we play Pitt on the road Stanford at home do you think that might
1: be good enough this year you know, I guess it's 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 how you play those games, how you win. You obviously have to win them, but how you win them, and you know how dominant can you be. But those are those those are two quality opponents. I think that's a that's a great way to start the season. And uh, and you got to stay healthy. And actually, maybe you guys can update me. Like, what is the status of of Mackenzie Milton? Are we going to see him at all this season?
3: I, I don't think so. They haven't completely ruled it out, but um, you know, with right. his with his nerve damage, he just actually had another surgery about a month ago. We're not counting on him being back this season. I mean, even if he did, he might have like a week or two, and that's not even worth wasting right. the uh, the redshirt year on him. So right. it's gonna be it's you know we got a quarterback competition though. It's Mack or the Winbush who transferred from Notre Dame, so should be right. exciting. And,
1: and, and you know, and, and there's another there's a hey, there's another feather in your cap that a guy like Wimbush, you know, from a major program, is coming to UCF now, and I think that's also look that will be looked at very favorably. The competition will be good at that position now. Um, certainly, Mac will benefit from everything he went through last year. Uh, the pressure of playing in a big-time bowl game against a big-time opponent. So, um, look, I, I don't know if it's enough. See Stanford and Pitt. I don't know, but but keep chipping away, keep building. Listen, the Knights are doing everything they can do, and that's that's winning football games. That's all you can control. It's the suits who figure out the schedule, right? And it's the suits who figure out, you know, who belongs where and, and in the playoff and all that. And listen, I really believe we're not that far away from expanding the playoff. Regardless of what people say at the timetable, you know, it's got to be five years, seven years, the end of the contract. Uh, I, I believe that's happening. That's going to happen sooner rather than later. And uh, and that certainly will make, uh, make your argument even better.
3: Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it needs to, and I don't see why anybody would be opposed to it at this point. I mean, as much as we love watching Alabama versus Clemson every year, why not include, you know, first of all, all the Power Five conferences? Because who would have thought? You've got five conferences and four playoff spots, and people aren't going to be pissed every year? I mean, right. let's be real, and it'd be nice for, you know, like a team like Georgia who probably could have competed for the national championship to have one of those kind of at-large
1: bids or whatever. Um, no question. Hey, the Pac-12's got issues, right? They want to get in. They're going to try to get in there. They, they can't just, seem to get a team in. They and, you beat know, themselves up it,
3: every season, so. Yep. Uh, with yep. they, and the thing is with that is they play more conference games and conferences like the SEC. So there's no balance, but uh, I don't know. You, we could argue about this for, for days. Anyway, I think that's it. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun.
1: Okay, thanks for having me on, guys. All right, take well. care. Thanks, Bye. Steve. Good night. See you next season.
2: Yeah, I was definitely super nervous talking to Steve there. You know, growing up, ever since I was a kid listening to him, Watching him on TV on Sports Center, never in a million years that I think that we we would be interviewing him on our own podcast is really that's, incredible. That's
3: pretty cool. It was almost like a little pinch
2: me moment, a little bit. So so if he comes to campus, you know, for any of our home games to call, we definitely got to yeah, got to meet him. right? Oh, for
3: sure. I think and hit him up. I'm telling you, man. UCF Stanford is going to be the Levy crew. I have a feeling. If well, it's
2: him, I mean, yeah, we're going. We're like yeah. going out to dinner, right? The wives are meeting each other and. We're like best friends, right?
3: Oh, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're all getting matching tattoos, right? (laughs) All right, so let's move on. Let's talk about the spring game a little bit. That's coming up here in a couple days. Money Moo going to be up in the Tower Club tailgating at Memory Mall, and he told me the first fan to find him and show that they subscribe with actual visual proof on their phone will win a prize.
2: Where in the world is Money Moo? What prize are you giving him? Apollo's tickets for life. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, But there will be a prize. I know I don't have, like, a bunch of pictures of me all all over Facebook, you know, with Mackenzie Milton and and Tristan (laughs) Hill and and all that, you know, like Sean does. But anyway, I will be wearing my UCF jersey. It says Money Moo on the back. So if you find me in Memory Mall or up in the uh, tower for the game, you know, come say what's up. I'm I'm a I'm a nice guy, I'm friendly. So uh, I'm a nice guy. <laughs> c- come say what's up. Uh, if you listen to the show, you know, show me that you subscribe, and we'll we'll get a prize for we'll you, get so. you. we'll get you something nice. We got I got a whole box full of UCF crap. So and, we'll and I'll some. send out like a couple of uh, like a couple hints on on Twitter. Yeah. So make
3: sure you follow at Money UCF. Unfortunately, I won't be able to make it. I uh, you know, this is like the best game of the year because you get. Like all the alumni players and stuff are there, just hanging out. Like for the first, it's our first tailgate for like a lot of these guys. Fortunately, I have a friend that has a stupid birthday, and I don't know, whatever,
2: it happens. Yeah, but but um, there will not be any stress about possibly losing. That's true. Hype, Hype said
3: it's going to be the same format as last year: offense versus defense. So it's not really going to be a score. It's just going to be the ones versus the ones, the twos versus the twos, and the threes versus the threes. Will be interesting to see who trots out first at quarterback. I have a feeling it'll be Daryl Mack. But for more about that, let's do our interview with Mackenzie Milton. He talked a little bit about the quarterback battle. A little surprising info there about the quarterbacks. We also talked about obviously the not just the 2017, you know, the incredible Peach Bowl Rumble. We talked about the highs and lows of the 2016 season. We also talked about what it was like when frost was leaving uh he gave us actually you know some really surprising information about what happened there and then also um a little bit about an injury that he
2: may have had that no one knew about actually until now so that's a one night stand exclusive and i also asked him a couple of fun questions like where you might be able to find him eating dinner oh interesting all right so without further ado
3: mackenzie milton All right, everyone, time to welcome on a very special guest. We have two-time defending AAC Offensive Player of the Year, the 2017 Peach Bowl Offensive MVP, 2017 National Champion, Mackenzie Milton. KZ, thanks for joining
0: the show. Appreciate you guys having me, man.
3: Yeah, so first let's talk about what's going on this weekend. Uh, You're speaking at a a big event called the Better Man event. Can you tell us Mm -hmm. a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, you know, it's a faith-based event, and – Myself and a few other speakers are just going to be kind of sharing our story. And, you know, myself, I'm going to talk about my journey through UCF and then obviously my leg injury as well and kind of just how God has seen seen me through all of it and how i kind of leaned on him through it.
3: Right. And, you know, you mentioned, I think, in another interview last week about um, your faith and, you know, how you prayed, you know, for recovery with your leg injury. And it turns out, you know, you didn't even tear your ACL when they thought you should have. And can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, you know, so when you um, when you dislocate your knee, your knee's basically holding on to a thread and usually tear everything in there. And then, so my initial MRI read, you know, they thought the ACL looked good, um, but they weren't too sure. They thought I had torn both meniscuses. They thought the MCL was good. And then they thought I tore LCL, PCL. And they thought my uh, my hamstring had ripped off the bone, the biceps femoris, As an initial reading, and then, you know, my mom and I we just kind of prayed for just complete healing, and then I got prayed over at um at a Wednesday night church service, and you know we got another MRI to just to follow up, and the ACL was perfect, the MCL was perfect, both meniscuses were perfect, and somehow the hamstring was was attached to the bone, which is you know scientifically like impossible without surgery, so. You know, God's definitely had his hand on uh, my knee already. Um, you know, it's going to be a long process, but, you know, I trust him and, you know, I trust um, our medical staff to, to get me right.
3: That's awesome. Uh, what what an incredible story already. Yeah. So for anyone interested, uh, you guys can get tickets at, uh, what is it, www.bme2019.com? BME, yep, yep. Cool, that's so that, and that's this Saturday, so definitely check that out. Yep, um, check it out
0: after the spring game. Exactly. Right after the spring game, right at CFU
3: Arena. It's going to be a good event. they got you, Evander Holyfield, and a bunch of other uh, pretty famous people, so definitely check that out. All right, so let's start off and talk about spring ball a little bit. How's that going? What's your overall kind of perception about how we look?
0: Uh, It's going good so far. um. I would say I'm probably biased, but I would say the offense has been getting better at the (laughs) defense throughout spring. Um, Guys are looking sharp. All the QBs are coming along. They're learning. And, you know, it's been a good competition at the QB in the QB room so far. Um, I'm not sure that anyone's really separated themselves. I think, you know, fall camp will really decide who the guy's going to be.
3: Definitely. Um, Is there anyone that stands out, not just in the QB room, but overall? Like maybe someone that we haven't heard their name that much before?
0: Um, I mean, he's obviously been a guy with Gabe Davis. Uh, I think he's just going to take his play to a whole nother level. We I mean, can already see it in spring. Um, yeah, he's just—he's really a, me, uh, a man amongst boys out there, and I think he has a, the potential to be an All-American wide receiver. Um, gosh, I mean, we got a lot of guys coming back. You know, I think Jacob Harris, um, he played wide receiver last year. He's going to play a little more um on the inside this year but I think he's gonna have a breakout year as well he's tall lanky extremely athletic and I think he's gonna make some plays over the middle and stretch the field
3: yeah he's tall what is he like six foot six man I bumped into yeah, him man. He's no. six
0: he's six six he runs a four or five easily he's a he's a he's a freak athlete that's uh
3: yeah that's he's a specimen so what's your role like now at practice what you kind of like a almost like a coach type thing
0: yeah almost you know i I try to let, I try to back off and let the guys do their thing, you know, and then I'll input when I need to. But, you know, when I play I, I like to I like to just roll with it and, you know, when I make mistakes just kinda of move on and then correct it in the film room. Um and I feel our guys are the same way. If if there's some like something fundamental that I see that they can they can kinda of improve on, then I'll point it out. But um you know, I just try to I just try to be, you know, the same guy I was last year, but just just help them out a little more just because I played so much. And, um, you know, I'll be out there for about 30 minutes at the beginning, and then I'll go in and lift with our strength coaches for about 45 minutes, and I'll come back out. So, well, I mean, we got about, like, we got Mitch Militello, who's our QBGA, Jeff Levy, who's our QB coach, and Hayden Kingston, who's another QB on our roster, but he's kind of moving into, like, a player-coach role. Coach Kingston, right? (laughs) Yeah, Coach Kingston. So... There's about four of us in there so I don't want, I don't want to you know just have have four four guys tell them what to do you know what I mean so Right. I try to let them do their thing and if you know there's something that you know I that I feel that they could work on or they could help them then then I'll point something out.
3: That's awesome. It's cool that you still have a chance to you know contribute to the team um even if it's you know kind of from the side. Um, yeah, so for sure. Talking about spring ball, I, I wasn't sure about this so I wanted to ask you did you come did you enroll early? and do spring your freshman year
0: no i didn't i came in in june and just had a fall camp and then and then we came right into the season so i was here for about a month and a half and then we started fall camp and and then season started so it came fast um i think the kids that have the chance to early enroll or are, are way ahead of the game you know um it's big to get a spring under your belt just so you, you kind of get used to the, the speed at college and and you can dive into the playbook with the coaches, um, helping helping you and teaching you.
3: Exactly. You don't have to, you know, if you go straight into if you go into fall without having a spring, you got to get adjusted those first couple of weeks. If you have spring, you can just kind of jump straight in. You know exactly what you're uh, exactly. getting Exactly. So yep. talking about your freshman year, what were your expectations coming in?
0: Oh, uh, you know, I was coming in, honestly, just expecting to redshirt. But, you know, I, I was going to come in and bust my butt to – you know, just improve everybody on roster. Justin, um, Pete Novo, Nick Patty, all those guys just, just, just put my best foot forward. You know, just like I would now. Um, so I, I came in. You know, Justin was a, a three-year starter, so I was expecting to, you know, kind of just redshirt, get bigger, faster, stronger. But uh, Justin kind of tweaked his hamstring against Michigan, and then you know I kind of got thrown in, thrown into it at, at that point. But you know, I think it was the best thing for me, you know, going through some growing pains, just freshman year, getting used to that speed, and, and you know, I think we wouldn't have had the success we had if I didn't play in my freshman year.
3: I agree with that 100%. So, what was it like uh, after the Michigan game? First of all, how, how soon did Frost tell you that you were going to be the starter for the next week against?
0: Um, it, was the, it was the the following Sunday after that Saturday game. They called me into the office after we watched the game film, and, you know, they told me that they they were going to start me that week um, against Maryland. And, you know, there's a lot of emotions going through. You know, obviously I was excited, a little nervous. and But, you know, I felt like I was ready. And, you know, I found out quickly that, you know, everybody wants to be into the fire until they start burning. But, <laughs> uh, no, it was it was good for me, man, um, getting getting out there, getting getting playing time under my belt. And, you know, I'm grateful that Coach Ross gave me that opportunity.
3: Yeah, definitely. I remember when it was announced, and, like, I, I mean, I knew who you were, but I didn't really know much about you. So I, I talked to a player that I knew, and I was like, tell me about him. And he's like, dude, this kid lights it up in practice. He's like a Johnny Manziel type guy, I swear to God. And I was like, all right, I'm sold. Like, let's see what happens. But that was, um, I mean, that was crazy. You got thrown in against a, a really good Maryland team. You know, obviously we lost a heartbreaker, but we were actually, mm-hmm. I mean, we were a huge underdog, so we weren't even expected to be in that. Yeah. Um. In you know, then you kind of get a nice win on the road at FIU, but then, But then Holman comes back. Yeah. You know, doesn't have that good of a game, and then you know, the rest is history. The Milton era officially begun. What what was your best memory of a game that year?
0: Um. Man. Truth be told, there wasn't a lot of good memories. (laughs) Um. I think I think getting bowl eligible against Cincinnati that was big. I just remember we lost a lot of close games. I thought we could have usually been a ten win team. Um but but like I said, us going through that, I felt like we had to go through that to, you know, get to the year of the peace bowl and get to the fiesta bowl. Um you know, there's no there's no triumph without struggle. And, you know, we went through that from 0 and twelve to six and seven to now, you know, we've been the best team in Florida Florida the past two years.
3: Right. And you know, like you said, we lost a lot of close games and could have had a lot better record and then on on the other side of that going in or you know talking about the 2017 season we won all of the close games mm-hmm. um so you know it definitely definitely evened out uh were there any, was there any point in 2017 where you thought we were going to lose i mean not saying that like you didn't have confidence in us but was there any point that you really were like oh crap like this you know undefeated might be over
0: i would say just um gosh i'm trying to think you know, I think Memphis, Memphis in uh the conference championship was a close one. Just cuz going into overtime they scored first. Then it's really do or die at that point, you know. Yeah. I, I remember like,
3: I remember watching that game and also, you know, they had, you know, they had a field goal attempt with like a minute yeah. left. I'm like, "Crap, if they make this, I mean, I know yeah. we'll have the ball, but Yeah, we could dice at lose. that point."
0: Yeah, you right. know. Right. So So um, um, you know, I didn't I didn't feel like we were going to lose, but you know, there's definitely the chance. You know, um, right. the margin for winning and losing in those close games is very small. You know, it could be a Mike Hughes return or a, a Trey Neal interception and double overtime. <laughs> um, it's uh, the margin for winning and losing in college football is in, in those close games, especially, is, is, is very small. And you know, it's about getting over those hump, those humps, and winning those close games. Um, that's what separates championship teams.
3: Definitely. So, talking about that Memphis game, leading up to that, obviously, you know, it came out, everyone pretty much knew that, that Frost was leaving. Um, mm-hmm. Like, all those rumors and stuff are going around, and, like, obviously you're focused on winning, and it's but yeah. it's still impossible to ignore. I know you didn't talk about it with the media, you downplay it, but, like, did you talk about it amongst, you know, other teammates or in the locker room, or was it kind of like an unspoken thing? You're just like,
0: um, no, nah, I mean... We, we talked about it, obviously, but we knew like that we had something bigger at stake at hand, you know, with what was going on. So it was a distraction, but I don't think it affected our play in, in a sense. Um, and I don't think it affected Coach Frost's coaching either. Obviously, I think we put up like 62. <laughs> but um, no, nah, it was a distraction, but I, I thought our guys handled it great. And obviously it was tough to see Frost go, but, you know, we're in good hands with Coach Hype now. And you know I I had a feeling Coach Ross was going to head out cuz he talked to me a few weeks prior that that was probably going to happen so it it didn't really shock me um but you know our our guys like kind of expected it but I mean we we're ready to roll
3: Yeah I mean it it didn't it didn't surprise me it's you know it'd be one thing if he left like for the Gator job which he could have had yeah you can't blame him I mean it's his it's his alma mater it's like if you coached at Nebraska and the UCF job opened up you know no yeah yeah, exactly no
0: he he personally told me he's like Casey I wouldn't go anywhere else but Nebraska like he he turned down the Florida job he turned down several jobs Tennessee and it it was just home for him you know he's got a sick dad who lives in Nebraska and yep you know it's it's just a perfect storm for him and you know I'm I'm not mad at him or or anything. He did the best thing for his family and and all, and the rest of his coaching staff got paid double their salary. <laughs> yeah, so
3: it worked out good for everyone, to be honest. Yeah, I can't. Sure. Yeah, there's still some salty fans. And there always will be, but I mean, I've got nothing but love for the guy. And the other thing too is that he didn't have to come back and coach us. I mean, it would have been mm-hmm. kind of messed up to leave us hanging. But we don't yeah. win the Peach Bowl without him coming back. Um, so definitely, yep. definitely thankful for for his time here. Um what's your relationship like with him now? Like do you guys still talk a lot or what?
0: Uh we don't really talk a lot. Um every now and then, you know, I'll call him or he'll call me, but you know, it's just like a it's like a friend relationship or like, you know, a big brother relationship right. uh, with him. Um like that love is always going to be there and you know, uh, he's going to be a friend for life no doubt.
3: Yeah, of course. And you don't have to, you know, I've got, you know, some of my best friends from college, we talk like two times a year, but Exactly. Yeah, n- nothing changed but, but, between our but relationship. Exactly,
0: exactly. When you talk, like it's like you've just seen them yesterday. It's, Ex- exactly.
3: It's exactly. Yeah. So talking about the Peach Bowl, um, can you tell me a little bit about your first half? Like, was there definitely some jitters, or what? What? What was going on there?
0: Oh, uh, against Auburn. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I would definitely say there's some jitters. Um, gosh, truth be told, a lot of people don't know. Um, in double overtime against Memphis, I I separated my shoulder and my throwing shoulder and I didn't practice for about two weeks, like, like leading up to the peach bowl. And I just started practicing about a week and a half before we played. So, I mean, that was definitely, that's definitely, definitely bothering factor, me yeah. throughout the game. Um, But, you know, that's, that's no excuse. Um, I was just missing some targets and then, you know, I started getting to a little rhythm late in the first half and then that carried over into the second half. But, You know Auburn is a big, long team, and you know we didn't play anybody with their size until them, so that was that was kind of different. You know throwing over D linemen like that, but there's definitely no excuse.
3: Yeah, I mean, and you know, here's the thing: even though the throws weren't hitting necessarily, I mean, you just did it with your legs, and you know, kind of pushed it in in the beginning, and then once we started clicking, man, (laughs) well, you know, the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's let's talk a little bit about that uh, that off season. You know, you kind of went from, like, being, like, a local celebrity. Like, now you're in the national spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was that like, you know, to to really be blown up? I mean, you went from, you know, undefeated season, whatever, UCF, small school, to full-blown yeah. Heisman candidate.
0: Um, you know, it was cool. It was cool, you know, because any publicity for me is publicity for our school. And, you know, I, I see, you know, I definitely see UCF as a place that isn't a stepping stone. Um, you know, I, I feel like UCF can be here for the long run and and sustain success, not just football. You see basketball, taking Duke down to the wire, baseball, beating Florida back-to-back years. Why do you
3: got to remind me about Duke, dude? Come on. <laughs>
0: hey, man, it still hurts me. It still hurts me. But just the fact yeah. that, you know, that's supposed to be the best team in the country.
3: I know. I was and just happy to be there and be,
0: be in that game. Right. Exactly. So... Um, So no, it was was definitely cool, but you know, I'm just, I'm just happy for the recognition our school has been getting.
3: Yeah. How much did your DMs blow up like in that off season?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) There's definitely a lot. There's still a lot. Yeah, I'm sure.
3: Um, so then what was the transition from frost to hypo? Like, like from everything I've seen, I think coach hype did like an awesome job of really getting to know everyone and was like a really good listener with, uh, you know, from the players and, and stuff like that and trying to keep some stuff the same. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Oh, yeah, it's been good. Um, obviously, they're, they're two different personalities, but Hype did a great job of, like you said, trying to get his get to know his guys on a personal level, which is the most important thing when it comes to coaching, just just relating to your dudes. And um, offensive-wise, it's, it's a little different, but, you know, he kept some stuff that I was comfortable with and our team is comfortable with. and. You know, it's been a good blim of what he did at Missouri and what what we did with Frost.
3: Yeah, it's definitely um, – I mean, they're both offensive-minded coaches, but it's, it's definitely like a, a clear difference between their schemes and everything. Um, mm-hmm. What What's something that you like about Hype's offense, you know, more, I guess?
0: Uh, I like the wide splits that we play with. Like receivers are basically to the sideline and uh, inside receivers are sometimes at the numbers. It just cleans up pictures like defense. They have to defenses have to show their hands um, pre-snap, and it it's just it makes it life easier on a quarterback recognizing coverages.
3: Gotcha. Um, all right, uh, last couple of questions. I'm going to hand it over to Moo here. Can you speak Hawaiian? I always wanted to know that.
0: <laughs> nah, I mean I know some words, but I can't. I'm not like fluent with it.
3: Gotcha. Um, okay, well, there goes my next question. I was going to ask you to say USF sucks, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, I was actually... I was Googling before this to try and get some information on your recruiting and stuff, and it was weird. The first couple of pictures that come up show you throwing the ball without the laces. Do you normally
0: do that? Do you not need the laces? <laughs> no, nah, I mean... I mean, I've always reps since, like, high school, just being able to throw without it. I'm more comfortable throwing with them, but... A lot of times, like, you don't catch them, especially like when you're throwing the ball quick out of your hand. So, you don't have time to adjust, to, yeah. Yeah, so you got to be able to throw it all sorts of ways. And you don't really want to be fiddling with the ball too much because you want to get out of your hand quick. Like, sometimes the D linemen come in like water, so you can't be squeezing it too long or you're going to get smacked.
2: Yeah.
3: Cool. All right. I'm glad I asked that. I was like thinking about not asking it because I was like, "Oh, this is dumb." But uh, I was kind
2: de- of I was kind of wondering it too. So, <laughs> <answer me laughs> the yeah, are good. all right. Um, all right.
3: I'm gonna let Mutek over here. He's gonna do some right. uh, kind of rapid fire type questions. All
2: right. Sounds good. I got some rapid fire kind of off the wall questions for you, McKenzie. All, all right. right. Cool. So, what would you say is, is your favorite conference opponent away game?
0: Houston. Just because the environment there is loud. It's probably the loudest to spin, and I'd say Memphis is a close second as well. Um, it, it gets rowdy at both those, and the fans talk some crap. That which I enjoy.
3: that Memphis game, I was there in the rain. That was insane. I couldn't believe their stadium was like half full, and it was still super loud. It's loud,
0: yeah, yeah. That's kind of how Houston is as well.
3: Yeah,
2: that was a hell of a game, though.
0: Yeah, it was.
2: <laughs> All right, so I remember in Frost's offense, he used a lot of those giant uh, cards on the sidelines. With like pictures and little memes and stuff, uh, can you tell us anything about what any of those mean?
0: Um, a lot of them are related to like what the coaches, but plays wise, I can't. and I'd be doing I'd be doing frost dirty if I told you what they mean <laughs> plays wise. But but
3: yeah. they do mean something though, right? Oh
0: yes, absolutely.
3: Okay, because I I've. I've been Googling this for, like, five years
2: trying to figure out what
3: they mean. Started, started from when Chip Kelly did it. And, like, yep. there's nothing out there on it. So, I don't know if some, it was.
2: I can't believe this code has not been broken.
3: Yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a player's got tight whips, man. It's a brotherhood. All right. All right. Good on
2: though. All right. Who would you say is your favorite receiving target, past or present?
0: Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to go with Traquan, one. Dave Davis, a close, two. If, if I got to throw to Gabe this last year, um, this year coming up, Gabe might pass up Trey, but I'm going to have to say Trey Kwan-Smith.
2: Oh, it'd be lights out then, dude. <laughs> yeah. There's a YouTube video out there of you. It's every single touchdown that you've ran or thrown for mm-hmm. in your whole college career. And that's a, it's a solid, like, 10 minutes long. That's awesome. Because I think, I think it's like cool. 90-something touchdowns. Wow. you got to look it up. But definitely there are some great – ones of you and Traquan. My favorite
0: Yeah, I got special.
2: My favorite uh well, I guess my favorite play is the one in the peach bowl from you to Dredrick
0: Snelson. Mm, Yeah. I felt good about that one.
3: (laughs) Dude, that was insane. I every time I watch it I'm still amazed, like can you talk us through that play? Like you're scrambling and he's running back, like, you know, obviously the play's kinda broken.
0: Yeah. So it's it's really just like a fake like reverse and a, a rollout and we leave the end untouched. Cause we expect them to kind of run with the reverse and Jeff Holland did a good job of staying home, but he, he was staying wide on his contain. So I kind of just stuck my foot in the ground, got North and South and then Snelson was on an over route and he saw me, you know, kind of just scrambling, like you said, and he put his foot in the ground and running. I saw him turn like he, the defender was going opposite, so I knew he was going to clear. So I just sent sent a rifle to the back of the end zone, and, you know, that was a big play for sure. That
2: was beautiful, man.
3: <laughs> no,
0: yeah, I felt good about it. I was fired up after that. Oh, hell yeah. Uh,
2: I think the, ha- at least half the stadium was too. <laughs> now, that's, did that surprise you at all? I mean, I don't think it should have, but it, it surprised me a little bit of, of the presence of Night Nation there in Atlanta that day.
0: You know, I wasn't too surprised just because you know Atlanta's pretty close to Orlando, but we we're way louder than Auburn. I know that, and oh, we showed for sure. out way more than Auburn. And you know, I was just proud of our fans. Like that was that was awesome.
3: That was awesome. That was like the best day of my life. I'm not gonna lie. Yep. <laughs> we, I mean, it, we, we were up there for there. me too. <laughs> Got we all on the same
0: page. All right. What, what's your
2: favorite off-campus food spot?
0: Man, I, I'm a big fan of Metro Diner. It's kind of new. Um, first watch is always go-to as well for breakfast jimmy
2: hula's
0: jimmy hula's is fire yeah <laughs>
3: that's my that's my go-to spot
2: when i'm up in orlando oh last one who would you say is the biggest locker room clown
0: on uh, neville clark really <laughs> he's a character locker room outside the locker room he's just he's hilarious man i feel like he's
2: kind of soft-spoken I, I don't really see him much like doing interviews or anything so that's very interesting to
0: hear Nah, yeah he's he's a funny dude um, all right, I'm that's doubt. it.
2: Dude, thanks
3: so much, man. That was a lot of for fun. I sure. uh, really for appreciate sure. it. So, go no nights.
0: Charge on. Appreciate all right, you all, boys. All right, take care. See you
3: guys. All right, shout out to Mackenzie for that awesome interview. So, dude, like, I was shocked when he told me about the, the shoulder separation in Memphis. Luckily, he had a month to kind of recover from that. But I think that's the same injury that he was dealing with in the 2018 season. And kept him out of that ECU game. Like, <laughs> I looked at you when he said that, and, like, both our jaws were, like, on the floor. Uh. <laughs> and then uh, also a little tidbit there about Scott Frost. I mean, I guess, you know, we all knew it was coming. But, I mean, it kind of was kept pretty internal and under the wraps until uh,
2: until the Memphis game. When, the you know, as Levy said, broke the news. I mean, you say we knew it was coming. But... Um, but i think we didn't you know it was, it's all hearsay it's just like it's surprising it's it's surprising to see like what you know how people interpret hearsay you know when they when they hear somebody say oh yeah i heard so and so said this in this day and age people automatically oh well it must be true because this guy said it
3: yeah and it was not like a i heard type thing with nebraska it's just like the stars were aligned for it to happen it just made sense. Obviously, looking back at it, you can be like, "Oh, it was obvious." We were looking for every reason that it wouldn't, and we were just at the time searching for proof. When I think, if you look at the big picture, it's like, "Come on, this is obvious."
2: I mean, let's be real. But I right. don't know. But at the time, you know, we were twelve and zero, and um, or eleven and zero. Yeah. And yeah, everything worked
3: out great. And you know, like little we did ta-
2: we know that we would win. You know, the next fourteen games in a row. Exactly. It's exactly. All, a pipe dream.
3: all right. Uh, last segment here. We've got a meanwhile to
2: the west. I freaking love this segment. I swear, this there's always something which Just them. keeps getting worse it, every every week. Like we don't even have to really search for any of this stuff. Now it just yeah it just happens. Comes right to us. Okay. So
3: as we all know, USF won the sixteen-team CBI, the College Basketball Invitational Tournament, which is. Worse than the NIT. But to get the right to host the first two rounds at home, USF had to pay the tournament $40,000 per game, plus give up 100% of ticket sales
2: for the semifinal game. So like 50? I saw <laughs> some pictures of the of the game. There was nobody there.
3: Yeah, so like all 50 tickets they sold go to the
2: company. Yeah, I mean, you know what? That's just such are a they, USF thing. Are they bankrupt yet? I mean, they pay. <laughs> they pay Ray J. You know, every home game per football. Yeah, they pay to be in the CB. How do they make money? Uh, they're
3: preeminent, though.
2: Hey, that's like that. Their one fallback thing. Oh, and they were number two like ten years ago. They were number two for one week, it and then they lost football. three straight, and then <laughs> and they lost three straight top twenty-five. Yeah, this segment it just it. Uh, it Every, it, it's it just, almost too easy at it is, this point. It's, it's,
3: just, it's too easy. It, how bad would it suck to like be a USF fan? Like you can't even defend any of this shit. Oh, here we go. <laughs> USF defeated Stony Brook in Utah Valley in the CBI opening rounds at Yingling Center. The contest drew a combined total of 3,384 oh, wow. I was going to go
2: low and say four. Dude, so that's for two games, bad.
3: Uh, that's like worse than a high school game is what I would say. Yeah, anyway, USF sucks, (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) All right, let's do our mailbag.
2: Do we get any good questions? First question comes from MD Knight 2016. Would you want a dual quarterback system this year or just use Wimbush slash Mac only? No.
3: Wait, I just said no to a multiple choice question. You did. No, I I do not want a dual quarterback system. You got to have one person... Because they have to have, you have to trust them and give them that confidence. Say, hey, here's the keys to the car. You're the driver. Let's go. And then obviously, if you have to make a change, you have to make a change. But you can't have it going back and forth. You, you, you know, football all about you know rhythm and stuff like that. And a lot of the times, I mean, look at the Peach Bowl, McKenzie. It took him a half just to kind of get going. And if a guy's having a bad half, you don't want him afraid to to not make confident throws because he's afraid of getting replaced the next half. You know. You just you gotta pick the best guy and
2: go forward, and then you can always adjust from there. I don't know. What do you think? For argument's sake, I'll take the other side. Look, I think Mac, and I've always said this. I think Mac has the tools to be the start, the full-time starter. I wouldn't mind seeing Wimbush, maybe like every third possession, or maybe just one possession per game. A change of pace, maybe. Like a wildcat package, right? Okay, so I could agree. Maybe with that. Mac, you know, we're we're backed up on our own five yard line, and Mac throws like a fifty yard bomb, and then all of a sudden Wimbush comes in and runs like you know two or three run plays, and yeah. maybe he runs a pass, maybe he, you know, does an option to Marlon Williams and Marlon Williams throws a pass or just something, oh. to, just something to keep people on their toes. And Wimbush, you know, a lot of people are are, are all in. Or they're they're saying, this is the guy, this is the guy you know he came from Notre Dame. he's got to be the guy. Well, look, he's obviously a talented guy, yeah, and I think for him to not be on the field at all and Mac be the, the, the sole starter, it was kind of a waste. I mean, we brought him in for a reason, right? Well, we brought him in to compete. We want to have the you know we always want to have the most talent, but I but agree. we obviously thought that he might have a chance at being better than Mac. You wouldn't bring him in and go, well, Mac's the guy, you know. Well, I mean, you you can be the backup.
3: Well, you never know. I mean, you want to have, dude, without Wimbush, we would have a combined, like, what, three starts in the quarterback room? We need more than that. But I I get what you're saying. Here's the thing. I guarantee you Mac and Wimbush will both see the field in the first couple games. There's no way they don't. 100% agreed. But I don't think it'll be like a split type thing. It's going to be one guy and then, like, maybe a little change of pace or vice versa or something like that. Um, my gut feeling is that it's Max' jobs to lose. I don't think he's gonna lose it. Not at least not before the season starts. And I think they'll have some packages for Wimbush as well. But you get, forget. I mean, you know, we're saying Wimbush could come in and run the ball. Max, a great runner too. He had almost five touchdowns against Memphis. He's 6'3", like yeah, two forty. Yeah, I mean, could
2: have had he could have had two more. I w- think.
3: Yeah. Well, he had a fumble one or whatever. But Wimbush is like a shifty type Runner. Max, just a big fast
2: dude. Um, Either way, this is not a bad problem to have. Oh, no. We're we're living on cloud nine right now. Well, I mean... The other thing is I would love to see, you know, especially too with the new redshirt rules where freshmen can appear in up to four games and still, you know, have their redshirt status. I'm looking at that opening game against FAMU. I don't think they're going to be giving us any problems. So maybe a little second-half Dylan Gabriel action... Just to get his feet wet. I like it.
3: Yeah, or, I mean, you know what? You know, I don't like this, but because it's FAMU, that actually might be a game where, like, you give Mac the first quarter, Wimbush the second quarter. If it's that close.
2: No, if it's it's not going to be close. No, I don't mean the game. I mean, like, the competition. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, the, if competi- the competition's that close. Yeah, because a that- perfect chance... For both of them to get some in-game reps, against Th- throw
3: family. them both out there and see what happens. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. But I wouldn't be opposed to it. Now, for like real games, absolutely not. I would be pissed if we were doing that crap because it's got to right. be one or the. other. Well,
2: we're looking at the schedule right now. The very next week, FAU. Uh, if you don't think they're salty about the the loss that we gave them last year, oh yeah, you know this is in their house. Not they. Ha- they're going to have a home field advantage because I expect everyone listening to this podcast is going to be at that game. Yep. But um oh just talking about football right now I I feel like we're on a whole we're on a different level. Yep, you know. With this podcast we have so much more more to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. It, um it, it's just it's just making me get antsy again. Yeah, my blood's pumping. <laughs> like I said last especially week, especially after this uh, w- this weekend coming up, you know, when I'll be back in the stadium f- and everything. First taste
3: of a little football. Yeah.
2: Then what? What's it? April? All right, so April, May, so June, four July.
3: Months. Oh, four months, that's it. Well, it's pretty much football and season. And
2: nothing is going to happen between then. Hey, baseball. All right, well, let's wrap it up.
3: Thanks for that question. Big time listener there, MD Knight. Always coming through with the good questions. We appreciate that. Uh, just one other thing. I'm looking at a tweet here from Brandon Helwig. Follow him at UCF Sports. Probably one of the best uh, UCF kind of beat writers or whatever it's called. The current UCF basketball roster for twenty nineteen to twenty, point guard Tony Johnson, shooting guards. Now, Tony Johnson's actually only committed. He's he's like our one good recruit this year. Shooting guard Caesar De Jesus, Frank Burts, Dre Fuller Jr., Darren Green, who's a signee, Small forward, Ibrahim Famuki Dumbia, and our bigs are Colin Smith, U at Alok, who's that Giant transfer guy from TCU or whatever. And then Avery Diggs, who is also a commitment. We've got four scholarships open, though, now. And coming off, you know, our little March Madness run, maybe this is what Dawkins needs to
2: get a big-name recruit. I don't know. Uh, What do you think? Maybe some transfers coming. Who knows? But I I think for now it's just a wide-open kind of thing. I mean, you know, there's... There's never been a shortage of non-household names to to end up coming to fruition. Yeah, at UCF, you it's know what true. I mean. And and here's like that, the result: like, where did Greg McRae come from? Yeah, absolutely nowhere. Yeah, he wasn't being talked about and, when we were, you know, recruiting the big recruits of Scott Frost, and all of a sudden, boom, he's like our best bro, running back. I know? know, and not only that, I mean, think about this: Taco Fall came here, and we weren't really
3: anything. So now we're like kind of something. We could get some big recruits, so we'll just kind of have to see what happens. Yeah, it is what it is. It might be a little bit of a rebuilding year. It was just announced that Johnny Dawkins told the team he's officially staying. Um, although pretty much all the major coaching coaching vacancies have been filled, so we kind of knew that. But I guess now it's a little more right. official. He's you know all he, the jobs are filled, guys. <laughs> he's waiting for I guess co- I'm staying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's waiting for Coach K to retire. Let's be real. I mean,
2: it is what it is. Sure. It's called I, spade a spade. It's the same, K, thing, same thing as Coach Frost. exact basketball, though, you could, you could coach until you're, like, 90, dude.
3: Yeah, but coach I don't K, know.
2: Coach K maybe looks, like, a year older than he did in, like, 1980. Well, it's the hair dye, but yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> dude, you know he's only, like,
3: a year different than Jim Bayheim
2: eh, Yeah, I can, oh. Yeah, no, they're like, like the same they're younger. like the same
3: age, yeah. I mean, there's a picture of Dawkins and Coach K hugging and they look like the same yeah. age. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> but obviously he's quite a bit older. Alright, I think that's it. Like we said before, come out to the spring game. It's gonna be a great time. A lot of fun, kinda of more of a laid back, like less pressure, more casual. Go out and have some fun game. So the players will be
2: loose. On field meet and greet after the game. Yeah, go Happen get your picture everyone. four thirty. I know Brandon Marshall will be in the building. For the Hall of Fame ceremony, damn at the it! Beginning of the game and George O'Leary. Hopefully, he'll be staying for the game. For the game, <laughs> we can go, or I could go meet Brandon Marshall. Probably KZ is going to be down there. Who knows is going to show up? But check uh, it out, a lot
3: of cool stuff going on all day. I think we play USF in softball. Always good to beat them. Oh, by the way, another meanwhile to the west, we clinch the I four trophy. The score is like thirty five to four. I don't know if they're just going to cancel it after this year, but yeah. what an embarrassment. They beat us in, like, tennis. And that was it. <laughs> Not that tennis is a joke or anything. I'm just saying, like. All right, yeah, so that's it. Thanks for listening. You know, like I said, if you won the contest, DM your address. Follow us on Twitter, obviously, at UCF underscore problems, at Money Moon sure. UCF, and please leave a review. We really appreciate it. And thanks to all our sponsors, Jimmy Hulo's the Zup app. Go ahead and download that if you haven't already. Rock'em Socks. Use promo code UCFProblems. One word for 10% off. And shout out to you Apollo's uh, RIP. <laughs> Alright, good Knights. Charge
2: on. i Nation's.